So several years ago, my office was pretty close to a subway. So what that meant was I ate at Subway just about every day. Anybody else here eat, ever eat at Subway? Like, it's the default. There's nothing else. When we're on vacation, we'll eat at Subway because at least it's got fresh vegetables on it. Anybody else? Yeah, so uh, I ate there just about every day, so I got the routine down really good. And you know how it is if you go into a Subway. You walk in, and what's the first thing they do? They ask you what bread you want. So I tell them what bread. I tell them what sandwich I want, Sub Club. And then just go down the line. And I know it's all about the profit margin. I don't fault them this, but it just kills me every time they peel each individual slice. You guys know what I'm talking about? And you can hold that up and somehow they've managed to get that one atom depth to that piece of, you can like see through it. You can make glasses out of it. So it goes down the line. They peel off the exact number of pieces of meat and the cheese goes on there. You get down and get all the vegetables and then you get to the end. And at this time, maybe you remember this if you ever went to Subway a few years ago, they had this little promotional program. You get a card and they give you stamps. If you got enough stamps, you got a free sandwich. Remember that? They were the old school, like the lick and stick stamp, put it on there. So that was my subway experience. Around that time, I was traveling, and I was in Nashville, Tennessee, just outside of it, and I stopped on a Saturday afternoon at a subway to grab a sandwich for the road, and I walked in, and it looked like it was bring your kids to work day. Uh, no, I don't think there was anybody in there who was over 16. Maybe there was one adult in there. It was like almost like send your kid to work day and we'll stay home because it's like all these kids. I don't know if it was a youth group fundraiser, but I walk in and all these kids are like, hey, we got a customer. I've never seen anybody so excited to work at Subway, which is another tip off. These guys aren't being paid to do this. So they, I walk in and I go up to the counter and I said, I want a sub club foot long. I'm taking it with me. And this is how I knew that also they didn't work there because the guy, the 14-year-old kid said, what's on a sub club? <laughs> Oh, that's cool. So here, I told him it's you know ham and and turkey and roast beef, and so he goes, and and this is where it went from interesting to awesome. He reaches in and he grabs the ham. He goes ham, right? I said yes. He grabs a whole handful of ham. I'm waiting for him to do a little peeling. No, he just puts it on there. And then he looks at it and goes, it doesn't look like enough. So he grabs more ham and puts it on there. Same thing for the turkey, same thing for the roast beef. And then he slides it down to the young girl next to him, and she looks at him and me and says, does it get cheese? I said, oh, yeah, I, at this point I know what's going to happen. That thing was smothered with cheese all the way up and down. By the time I got to the end and I've done the vegetables and everything, the sandwich wouldn't close. It wouldn't fit in the plastic sleeve. It was so big, and those kids were having an amazing time. And I grabbed my sandwich, and I'm walking out, and it hit me. I forgot to ask for my stamps. And I knew what was going to happen. I started laughing even before it happened. I went back to the counter and I said, I, I should get stamps. And you always got one stamp for a six inch, two stamps for a foot long. And I could just see it. And it's exactly what happened. The kid behind the counter goes, he needs his stamps. And another kid goes, where are they at? And then they were all figured out there's a dispenser on the wall behind them. He turns around, no joke. And he goes, vroom, vroom, vroom. They got loops and loops and loops of these stamps. They hands them over to me. And they were so happy. And they were so, I've never never been in the subway who was so generous with everything. Isn't it fun to be generous, especially with somebody else's money? Isn't that amazing? I love that story. Every time I think of what generosity is, I think of that. That's just my go-to, a true story. Generosity, I don't know what you think of. My personal working definition for it is generosity is a measure of how much you give beyond what somebody uh, deserves, what you owe them, what they expect, even what they need. You're generous when you go, okay, you need this much, but I'm going to give you this much. Are you a generous person? Is that something that you just, is part of your personality and makeup? Do you enjoy being generous? There's a great verse in the Bible that talks about this. It's in Proverbs 11.25. It says, the generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. 
there's, this is just like, um, it's not like a rule. It's just kind of a general guideline. This is the kind of thing you can expect. If you live a generous life, you're going to find that you in turn, as you be generous to other people, people are just going to be generous back with you. Even, get this, if you are generous toward God, you will find that God overflows things in your life that you could never have expected before. This, there's just blessings that go along with it. And then there's a lot of joy. Have you, have you found this to be true personally? If you are a person who practices generosity from time to time or regularly, I know I have. Um, you ever found yourself just in a place where uh, you, you just went beyond what you thought you could do and then it just turned out better than you ever expected? That's this proverb right here. And this is just an amazing way to live life. And what we're doing right now is we're in a message series, you can tell by the front cover of the bulletin. This series is called This Is Us. And what we're doing is just over September, October, we've been looking at some of the core values and practices that make connection who we are. This is us. This is our church family. These are the things that we do as a family together that follow follows the Bible and follows Jesus. These are some of the things that we believe are so important. These are the things that when we think about them, it makes our heart beat a little bit faster because these things matter to us. So if you missed any of these messages, one thing you can do is go back to iTunes and get the podcast of Connection Christian Church. You can go to our church website and listen to these. I find like when I'm running, or exercising, I like to listen to a podcast. Here's a little tip for you. If you listen to it in your podcast app on your phone, if you got an, I don't know how this works if you got an Android, but I know for an iPhone, you can put it at one and a half speed so you can listen to it faster. If you think, this sermon is dragging, you can get through it quicker. So there you go. But one of the things we want to talk about because it's important to us here is that we are generous as a church. This is, on a personal level for me, it's something that I aspire to, and I haven't always been a generous person. Uh, I've been more parsimonious or stingy, or I don't know what the right word would be for that, but um, I just tended to be more conservative, I guess. And over my lifetime, I've really toward, tried to be intentional about being a generous person. I've tried to model it with my family. I've always respected people who are generous, and I'm trying to imitate that. I try to influence other people here at, through teaching, because I've just seen over and over and over that this is the kind of life that God lives, and the kind of life that He wants us to live in his family. And, uh, you know, as a, on the church level, I want this church to be known and have a reputation as being a generous church. I want there to be people all over the world who've been blessed because of you and I, what we did together. And uh, I just think about that. The challenge for us is that God is constantly giving us blessings and he's being generous with us to just turn around and take the blessings we receive and to give them to other people instead of just being a dead end street. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. No, to say, thank you, God. Let me bless other people. And then God says, I see I can trust you to be a, a blessing to other people. I'm going to give you even more because I know that you're not going to be a dead end street. And if, even if you're newer here, let me tell you something about this church family. Just let you on a little secret. This is a generous church family. I've personally been blessed uh, by just being with you guys and through you all. And uh, so thank you again for just what you do for me and my family. I, I hope that if you stick around here very long, that you find that to be true too. Um, and I just will say that if you find yourself like me and you're kind of on the spectrum, you're a little bit more conservative with things, that you hang around these people long enough, you're going to just be like everybody else here. You're hopefully going to become more generous. I'd like to maybe just do a little bit of exploring today what that generosity would look like in your life if you embraced it. And maybe even just how to. Because maybe it's something that you've never even thought of before, and today I just want you to consider it. I know for me, God has been so much more generous to me than I've ever deserved. 
You all have been more generous to me than I deserve, and I just want to be that way with other people, too. To not even think about what, what do you deserve, what do I owe you, to not even think about that. Not even what, you, what do you need is to, to say, here, I just want to bless you. I want to give joy to your life uh, in tangible ways, just like God's blessed me. So if you've got one of these, one of the places I want to take you today is towards the end of the Bible. If you would look for 2 Corinthians, there's a lot of teaching about financial management and generosity here in this Bible, but 2 Corinthians is a great place. We're just going to take three verses, just focus in on them, but they represent so much of the biblical teaching on this. So 2 Corinthians, if you're looking for it in your Bible app, it's 2-C-O-R, Corinthians. It's for the, the Greek city of Corinth. If you uh, are looking for it in this a paper version, it's toward the back. And so as you're finding 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I'll tell you why this made it into the Bible. It was written by a, a man, a Christian man named Paul. He was an apostle of Jesus. He represented Jesus, talked about Jesus to people, started churches and planted churches. And he had a lot of Christian friends in this church, many of whom became Christians because he told them about Jesus. And now he's written at least two letters back to this church to continue teaching them and mentoring them and guiding them, correcting them. And so this is just a little snippet of his teaching on giving and generosity. So let me just go ahead and read this. I'm actually, this is a New International Version. I want to read it out of the NLT. So uh, it's going to sound maybe a little different than what you got, but just listen to this. Paul said, and he wrote to these Christians, since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, even your love from us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. Now, I'm not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. You all know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Now I'm going to stop there. And one of the things that I notice as I read through this is something that research on generosity has shown to be true. It's in the Bible, and we've just we found this to be true elsewhere. Generosity is a learned behavior that gets better with practice. It gets stronger. The more you practice generosity, the better you get at it, and the more often, the more likely you are to do that. And that's kind of what Paul is saying here to the Corinthians. He wants them to excel at giving by practicing. He's like saying, you know, you Corinthians are good at a lot of stuff. And he told them, um, I think you guys are good at this, this, and this. Unfortunately, being generous is not one of the things you guys are good at. I want you to work at it a little bit. Uh, and so that's a challenge he's giving them. And anytime you read something like this in the Bible, this especially written to Christians, you can just immediately think, well, this is written to me too. Even though it was written to them first 2,000 years ago, he, Paul's talking to all Christians. God's talking to all Christians through Paul and what's here. And what, what we're le learning here is let's put some effort into being generous like we would put effort into other aspects of our life. I don't know. Sometimes I imagine this. What would Paul write to our church? Like, what would he write to the American Christians? And I, I like picture him saying, like, you Americans, man, you, you're really good at sports. You excel at sports or at least watching sports. You, you guys are really good at Mario Kart. You guys are really good at binge-watching Netflix. You guys have just nailed that. You like Facebooking? Got that down. I wonder if Paul would write to us, I don't know that you're so great at generosity. Maybe you should put a little bit more effort into that. You Because know, really, my guess is that as I look around all of you, all of us put effort into excelling at something. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying that all of us spend a lot of time doing something. We're always getting better at something. Why not think about what it would be like to excel at being generous? To put a little bit of work into that. Maybe like today, just to say, okay, 
I'm going to try this. I'm just going to do one generous thing today just to see what it's like because I've never done it before. I hope that's not, but I hope that you would at least say, yeah, I think this is something I'd want to work on. Then you go down to verse 8. Let's just keep going. Paul says, I'm not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches, which is a good point. It's love that prompts generosity. You can't force somebody to be generous. You can force someone to give. We do that every April 15th when we pay our taxes. But is that generosity? Oh, I'm so happy. I'm going to write the check for more than I have to to the government because I'm just so happy. I want to be... No! It's like saying mandatory volunteerism. It's an oxymoron. You cannot force somebody to be generous. You can force them to give up their money, but generosity is something that comes from your heart. And so that's the motivation. It's love. Paul says, I'm going to test the sincerity of your love. I'm going to figure out what you really care about. And which makes me think this. Maybe you can think about this too. When he says... You know, it's love that motivates generosity. Love for who? Or love for what? Well, one possible answer. You might say, well, obviously it's your love for God, right? Like, that's what should motivate your generosity. If you love God, if you love Jesus, you'll be generous. Maybe. Maybe he's saying, if you love me, Paul, like saying to the people that I literally led you to Christ, you would not be going to heaven if I hadn't told you about Jesus. So if you love me, give to my special offering. Maybe that's what he's saying. I don't think so. I think that Paul has something else in mind when he says love for something or someone. If you want to dig a little deeper, you can. This is part of a a larger context. We read three verses out of two chapters, chapter 8 and 9. The whole thing is about giving and generosity and an offering that Paul was taking up. And if you step back, I think you're going to find that what he's talking about is very familiar to our situation too. So he's taking up a special offering from all the churches for the Christians in Israel. In Jerusalem. At that time, it's a historically known fact. It's not just from the Bible that we know this. We know there was a huge famine in that region that went on for several years. A lot of people were hungry because they weren't able to grow food. So Paul took a global initiative to all the churches he'd started, and he started collecting funds for the Christians back in Jerusalem and Israel who were hurting. This is part of that. This is probably one of the greatest things Paul ever did in his life, other than write a big chunk of what made it into the Bible. He took up this enormous offering that he eventually took to the Christians and left it at the feet of the elders in Jerusalem, and they used it to take care of people's literal physical needs. And so this is what he's talking about when he says, I want you to you know, be spurred on by the generosity of the other churches. So apparently the Corinthians the year before had told Paul, yeah, we'll take up this special offering. And they hadn't actually done it yet. So he's like, kind of give him a kick. Come on, let's go. Let's get this thing done. You said you're going to do it. Let's do it. Which makes me think that what prompts our generosity is love for other people, especially when we see their need. So I want you to think about this. If, you, if you're thinking about other people and you're thinking about, oh, I feel bad for them, that's what prompts generosity. That's like the first step. And I say that this might ring true with us because just think about what happened in Texas and Florida and Puerto Rico and down in Mexico City with the earthquake. And you just, you start to see all these needs and we're aware of all kinds of needs that other people at other times wouldn't have known just because they don't have TV. And when you see that and there's something in your heart that says, oh, I feel bad for them, then there's something else that follows right along with that that says, I want to help. So generosity is prompted by love when you see people's needs. There's a great verse in the Bible. And uh, it's in 1 John chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. This is written by a guy named John who is one of the closest followers of Jesus. He said, if somebody has enough money to live well, sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not not merely say we love each other. Let's show the truth by our actions. So, 
Here's my takeaway. If I want to be a generous person, I probably shouldn't be praying, God, give me more money so I can be more generous. Because if, let's be honest, if I'm not being generous now with what I've already got, what are the chances that I'm going to be more generous when God gives me more money? Probably isn't going to happen. Here's what I think you should be praying. God, help me really see the needs of people around me and help me feel it right here and help me feel it right here. I think when you see needs and you feel compassion for somebody, that's the first step towards generosity. So just let that motivate you. And so I want to go ahead and get on down to verse 9. Love motivates our generosity. But in verse 9, he says, You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Which just tells me Jesus is the ultimate example of what a generous life looks like. But it also makes me come up with another question, which is like, at what point in life was Jesus rich? Stay with me here. Where was Jesus born? In a barn. He was put, literally, the night he was born, he was put in a manger. Were his parents, were they wealthy? No, Jesus' parents were anything but wealthy. Here's another reason why we know that. When Jesus was just a few weeks old, they took him to the temple, and they made all the offerings that were required in the Old Testament for a, a firstborn boy. And there was a special provision in the law that if you were poor, you didn't have to give the big offering. There was a little offering you can make. His parents made the little offering. Jesus grew up poor, when Jesus was 30 years old and he starts going on teaching and preaching, there was a guy who came to him and said, Jesus, I would love to be one of your followers. I want to be your student. And Jesus said to him, you know I'm homeless, right? You say, well, that's not them. Jesus said, birds of the air have nests, foxes have dens, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus literally depended on the generosity of other people, his entire ministry, to support him. So again, I ask, at what point in Jesus' life was he rich? He, even when he died, they, he had to borrow a tomb from somebody else. This is one of those times where we need to really step back and think about the dual nature of Jesus. And I, I'll explain what I mean by that. You and I, we are just simply human beings. Our, our origin began when we were conceived. That's, you know, this is, this is where we started. And Jesus wasn't like that. He's the only human being who has a dual nature. He's, he's got humanity because he's the son of man. But he existed before he was born. He's the son of God. Anytime you think of Jesus, you cannot simply think of him as the guy who lived for 33 years. Because he had an existence before that. He was God. And I know it's tempting to think like there's God and Jesus. and you know, there was, He was God. Anything that God the Father can do, Jesus could do. He was all-powerful. He was there at creation. He did all the work of creation. He, could, he knows everything. That's Jesus before he became one of us. And Jeff read this verse earlier out of Philippians. It says that though he was God, Philippians chapter 2, he didn't consider equality with God something to cling on to. He gave all of that up to become a baby who was born in a barn. He humbled himself to become a human being, which is an incredibly humbling thing to go from being God to just being one of us. Now, God exalted him and gave the names above every other name, but this is Jesus. He went from being rich to being poor. And why did he do that? Just want to see what it was like and kind of hang out with the heathens for a while. It, it wasn't just like a three-day jump in, jump back out thing. 33 years. He did it because he cared about us. And it was the only way that God, Jesus, could save us. 
That is why I say Jesus is the ultimate picture of generosity. You and I can spend the rest of our lives and all of eternity trying to be generous, and we will, and we're going to always become more and more generous. We will never catch up to Jesus, and I'm okay with that. I am glad that my God is greater than me, and you should be too. And this is the example that we follow. The most powerful being in the entire universe is also the most generous. So when you think about God, and there are moments where it's tempting to think of God as angry with you, or he doesn't care, or he doesn't know what I'm going through. Look at Jesus. If he doesn't care about you, just look at Jesus and go, oh yeah, he does. I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> he knows what I'm going through. It's going to be okay. And our generosity is not only like motivated by our love, but it's motivated by looking at Jesus and what he did. And he's an example to follow. And we are acting just like Jesus. When we give up our money for somebody else, some of you, let's be honest. Would you rather not just write the check so you don't have to give up your time? I'm going to be honest. When you give your abilities to serve somebody else in love, when you find yourself being inconvenienced to serve someone else in love, you are being just like Jesus and you're just nailing it when you do that. A guy named Richard Stearns, you may have heard of him. He's uh, from World Vision. And uh, earlier this year, he was in Northwest Kenya. I don't know if you know this or not. Kenya right now is in the midst of a huge drought. It's just really hurting a lot of people. So he's in there seeing like what World Vision could do. He was talking with some of the tribal elders. And one of the elders, I think we've got a picture here of it. If we don't, that's okay. Just picture him in Africa talking to some of these Kenyan elders. And uh, one of the elders said something to him that just deeply disturbed him. He said, many people come here and take pictures, and then they go away, and they never help. Now, obviously, Richard Stearns is not going to be one of those people. But I think, how many times do people go out, and they, you know, they say something, or they do something really good, and they step back, and just then one, one and done. I'm thankful to be a part of a church that's not like that. If you take your worship folder, I invited you to grab it earlier. There's a reason for that. In the notes section, I want you to look at this. We've listed out all the missions that we support together as a church through our offerings and through the things that you bring in. These, it's just an awesome list. This is what you do. Literally, every time you put money in the offering or anytime you bring in food, you can think about it. This is where it goes. And we've talked about these over the last several weeks. We've tried to highlight through September the different missions that we're together, that we partner with. Starting locally, we have Operation Backpack. There are dozens of kids over at Crossroads Elementary, we send food home with them every weekend in their backpack. You do that. Some of you brought food in. You go pack the food that goes to the schools. Thank you for doing that. And if you aren't, you can start doing that. Uh, Sparrow's Nest Teen Maternity Home here in O'Fallon. We support them and partner with them. You're bringing in food for the food pantry, the Hope Food Pantry. Christian Family Services, you just saw that on the video a little bit ago with Karen. And then you go out to Mercy Multiplied Ministries, which also works with teenage and young adult women. Then you start getting over to the uh, international level coming up. I mean, we're just, I can't believe that I'm saying this, but it's almost time for Operation uh, Christmas Child. Those shoe boxes that we do. And if you don't know what that is, don't worry. You're going to find out soon enough. And it is awesome. You're literally sending a Christmas present to some kid across the world who may have never got a Christmas present before. Uh, you got Paul and Stacy Leonard who serve in Turkey and we partner with them. And um, Kathy Sackett who was here just a few weeks ago doing Bible translation for people who don't have a Bible in their own heart language. And then Living Water Christian Mission which is in Gonaives, Haiti. And our church has a special relationship with a little village outside of Gonaives. It's called Highland. And the group, we just sent a group there last week. The group's going to start coming down now. Come on down, guys, while I keep talking. This village, I was there last year with the group that we sent. There was a spot in the middle of this rural, middle-of-nowhere village that was just this mud pit and dried out at that time. And now there's a bridge into that community. 
there's a church and school standing on that spot. And this group got to be there. And this is just an amazing thing. So I'm going to ask Mark just to represent the group and uh, tell us a little bit about what happened there. So little time, so much to say. <laughs> Haiti. It's meeting with a wonderful lady from the Hearts Church named Sarah and spending a week with her, sitting down at a big dining table at night, reviewing the day with, with the group and, and everything like that. It's running into a little boy we met last year on an empty campus long after school was closed. Came around the corner <laughs> with this beautiful face <laughs> and came up and hugged those of us who had been there last year. It was just wonderful, just amazing to see him again. Fifteen months, this little kid remembered us. He's like five years old or so. It's going out walking across that bridge that we built here from Connection and turning the corner and seeing a two-story concrete school building and walking up to it and seeing classrooms full of children and teachers nicely dressed and blackboards to write on. It's looking over the walls through the window. There's no windows through the opening in the wall and seeing those kids in there. It's looking in the preschool room <laughs> and seeing 37 little kids in there, all in their school uniforms. Uh, it's just amazing. It's seeing the principal of the school who'd never seen painting with rollers before in his navy blue pants and white shirt and tie wanting to paint with the rest of us. When the rest of us look like we've been in a paintball fight, he grabs the roller and starts painting, never got a drop of paint on himself. Uh, it's the teachers and giving them gifts of bags and school supplies. It's, uh, it's little children seeing a white person for the first time in just sheer panic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's other little kids smiling and hugging you and walking with you. It's people from the village just standing around to watch to see what you're doing. It's, uh, it's people seeing this white guy with no shirt on who needs a shirt. He's in bad shape. And from strangers, I received a T-shirt to go home in so I wouldn't be half naked. It's just, <laughs> it's just a wonderful exchange of people and love and care. <clears throat> After a while, the color goes away. It's hugs from grandmas that breaks two or three ribs. Those women are so strong. <laughs> it's just amazing. But it's a wonderful time. It's a wonderful sharing of people and needs and concern and the love of God. Yeah. Thank you all. Can you share? I, uh, I appreciate these, and there were several others who went, and as Mark said, they did suffer. I think a lot of them got sick, so uh, now you know who to avoid after church, right? <laughs> no, the, thank you. Thank you, group. Thank you for those of you who donated to help make this possible. Every month, your donations to Connection, part of that's going to Living Water Christian Mission. I want you to connect some dots here. There are going to be people who are in heaven for all of eternity because of, literally I put money in the offering. It goes to works like living water and there will be people in heaven who will hear about Jesus because of that. And that's you. And that's what generosity does. And so, uh, you know, I, one more thing I want to say about this just to the group. Uh, we're going to probably take another group next year. And maybe you need to be praying about it. Does God want you to not just write a check, but maybe he wants you to get on the plane and go. 
Just a thought. So I want to wrap this up, just make this practical. I want to give you something to do, maybe just a describe a pathway towards generosity. You may find yourself somewhere already on the pathway or just standing there contemplating it. Let me just give you a few thoughts to think about to take with you. Just where do you even start? There's an old Chinese proverb that says the journey, the longest journey begins with the first step. And so that's just what I would say to you. If you're like thinking, I've never done this before, I've never really thought of it, maybe just consider being generous before God financially for the first time. And uh, just to, to do something. If you want to excel at the grace of giving, thinking about being generous toward God would involve literally taking some money and putting it in the offering towards God. And if you've never done that, maybe today or maybe next week, or just to think, what would that look like to do that? And I would encourage you, make a significant gift. And I'll say what I mean by significant in a moment. But like, you ever been at the checkout and they go, hey, do you want to round up for, to the next dollar for the, the hurricane relief? And you're like, yeah, that's probably not a significant gift. I mean, it's great that you do that. I try to say yes every time. Uh, but what I mean by a significant gift would be something that you really notice. It's beyond whatever you just happen to have in your off, off pocket at the time. It's, you know, maybe more than just a tip. But it was like, really, you would notice it, like what you spend at Starbucks in a month or what you spend at the gym or on your Netflix and Hulu and Amazon subscription. You know, that's what I'm saying. And significance is different for everybody. Like my college-age daughter's budget is entirely different than mine, right? So what's significant for her is going to maybe be less than mine. So we're all at different places in life. So I'm not saying that we all have to do some outrageously huge gift to make a difference to do something significant. Just do something that you really had to think about before you did it. Maybe for you, I've talked about some of the things that we do other than financially. Like you might just look and say, what does the Hope Food Pantry need? And you go to, to Shop and Save or Aldi or Deerbergs, wherever, you just go get a bunch of it and you bring that in and that's your part of your offering or you give something for Operation Backpack. All I'm saying is, if you've never done this before, I'm just, I want you to actually tell me how it goes if you do this because I want to hear the stories. I love hearing stories from people who said, I decided to do this and it's always joy filled. So I just, you know, do this and tell me how it goes. For maybe for some of you, like you already are, you're on the pathway and there are times when you do make significant gifts, but you're not real regular about it. So maybe it's just a matter of making it a regular thing, a part of your priority, just a part of your routine. There's something in the Bible in the Old Testament that was always taught to the people of Israel. And that was anytime that God blessed them financially, whether through their, farming or whatever, anytime they had income, they would take 10% of it and give it to God. And that's like when I'm talking about being regular, I mean like being intentional, sitting down when you're doing bill pay or setting it up, just maybe even set it up so that it comes out of your account automatically. A lot of us already are doing that. And it's just a, a way to just be consistent because whenever God blesses you, just to turn around and bless other people is an amazing thing. And, um, you know, if, if you've never done that, I think that that's maybe the step you would want to consider. Now, here's something I know, and believe me, I'm, I don't like know individually, but I know that a lot of you are generous, and you are regularly generous. And unless you tell me what your offerings are, I don't know. But I do see the offering every week, and I know that there are a lot of people who contribute regularly, and so I'm, I would say, great for you. Keep doing that, and that's going to bless you and bless other people. But maybe for you, it's just the idea of... What would it be like if I did something really extravagant? Almost like crazy. 
And just to give something really big, I have a, a person I really deeply respected, admired. He's passed away now and he's in heaven, but he and his wife made a commitment that they would increase their giving. Like they started at 10% when they first got married and they were Christians and following Jesus. But they said, let's just try to increase it 1% every year. And I just started doing the math because they lived well into like their 80s or 90s. Like, how did you do that? But they did it. And that's what I mean by something extravagant. I'm not telling you that's what you should do, but that's just the kind of crazy thing. Like, God, if I do this, are we going to be okay? Are we gonna, and if God says, yeah, go for it. It's awesome. Then do something crazy and extravagant for God. It's like there's this, this idea that, that I think maybe especially American Christians fall into, and that is we kind of fall into this trap of thinking the goal of life is to accumulate. And, and that can, that's fine if you're preparing for your future. That's wise. But there comes a point where... Have I prepared or now am I just like stockpiling? So there's a, an author named David Green. He wrote a book called Giving It All Away. And in, in his illustration of this is he says, a lot of us think of life like it's Monopoly. Like life is an oversized game of Monopoly. And the goal of my life is to accumulate properties and then houses and hotels. And then, because this is how I play Monopoly, make everybody else cry because you bankrupted them. To take all their money. And at the end of the game, it's the person who's got everything accumulated. And he says, that's not like way, the way God wants us to live our lives at all. He says, you really ought to be thinking of your life if you're trying to honor Jesus as, it's like Uno. The goal of the game is to get rid of it all. Because if you end the game and you're holding cards, oh my gosh, it counts against you, right? So you want to get rid of that, like draw forward, get rid of all that stuff. Because when you pass away, in that moment, what's all that stuff going to do for you? Absolutely nothing. What could it have done for some other people while you still have the control over it? That's the question we ought to be thinking about. And just putting that out there for you to think about, what would it look like to live such a generous life that I lived my life and I ended my life and I wasn't really holding a whole ton of extra cards? I mean, I was listening to Jesus, being wise, but it's just a thought to consider. As I said a little bit ago, when you can connect dots between your generosity and God blessing somebody else, or even literally somebody coming into the kingdom of God and the family of God because of what you did, there's nothing like that. That's the way I want to live my life. And I'm so proud of you. Let me just brag on all of you as a group for a second. If you hadn't been extravagant givers all along, as we started rooted two years or a year and a half ago, and, and even before that, we wouldn't be building a building at 1332 FISI. I believe that we are already seeing the, the glimpses of people who are going to come to the Lord and their families are going to get put on the right pathway and people are going to just find so much blessing in their life because you made a commitment to give up some of the things that you have and you could have spent it on something else. It's your money. You can spend it on whatever you want. But you were generous and there's going to be people who are in heaven because literally you said, this is more important. And it's, it's not about the building. The building is going to be a great place, though. And there's going to be so many great things that are going to happen there. So many people are going to be taught the Bible, and they're going to learn the wisdom of God for their life, and they're going to get some things corrected that they needed to. They're going to get rid of some of the things in their life that don't really need to be there. They're going to find God. They're going to have rich times of worship. You're going to have conversations with each other. You're going to maybe meet some of the best friends you'll ever have. You haven't even met them yet because they won't be there until we're there. And all of that's like, it just comes from being an extravagant giver, a generous person. It comes from when you realize that, that God can always outgive you. So you just think about what is it that God wants you to do? I know for me personally, I couldn't be where I'm at right now if God hadn't done a whole lot of work in my life. I depend on him all the time, and I hope you do too. And so if you're thinking about this, and you're just thinking, this is just too daunting for me, don't think that way. Because yes, maybe for you by yourself, you can't do this, but with God's help, you can do anything.
Let me ask God right now for all of us to just help us. Would you stand with me and let's pray?